0: Thank you, Branis McKenzie. God is love. And, you know, the. every time I hear that song, different words jump out and kind of, like, shake you and, you know, get my attention. Whenever I remember. And so, a part of what I want to share with you all today is I want to say something that I didn't know, but I should have remembered. And a part of that is that there is a history that is untold unless the storytellers take the time to tell that history. Now, I've always considered myself a storyteller. And so I have spent a big part of this summer researching and pulling some information together for a play that I'm writing because I'm a playwright, and that's what I do. And I wanted to share it with you, but I realized that if I were to bring what I've learned, and it's like I feel like I'm coming back to school and this is how I spent my summer vacation, would be a part of the context. But by no means is it my attempt to say to my beloved allies and black folks, I wanna teach you some black history. I wanna share some things that I should have known that I didn't know. And because I didn't know that, it's why I wanna be an advocate for those folks who would have the audacity right now to say, there's some history we no longer need to teach. That was the catalyst. My goal is to be the best ally, advocate, and co-conspirator that I can be to the beloved friends that I adore, each and every one of you in this room. And I know that this work that we're embarking on is perfect for the time that we're in, because we have to be one of those three things if we are going to be the ones that create a world that works for all. And so I want to do a little storytelling, and I'm going to ask if they'll bring up the first slide, but only the first slide. And for a moment, I want you to invite you to be still and simply look at this slide. If you're watching at home, you may want to get up and walk over to the screen of the television or the monitor to really take this photo in. If you're in the room, I want you to be open to what this sacred place is saying to you right now. This photo depicts our shared history. As you look at the photo, what do you see? What are the people that were spending time in that building from 1846 to the late 1880s doing. What are they saying to you? They're whispering to you. They're nudging you to remember So let's go to the next slide, and I want to introduce you to the Union Literary Institute. Now, this Union Literary Institute is six miles south from my hometown of Winchester, Indiana. I did not know until I was 69 years of age that this building even existed or is still standing. This is not a Google photograph of the building. This was a photo I took with my iPhone when I got to visit this site. So as the slides go away, I wanna tell you a little bit about Randolph County, Indiana. Many of you probably have ancestors and folks that grew up in Randolph County, North Carolina. Well, during the early 1800s, a lot of the Quakers from North Carolina decided to partake in a settlement in East Central Indiana, and so they founded Randolph County, Indiana. And they moved, and they inhabited this community. Well, the Quakers, were one of the first allies to your community. Because of their faith, they believed that all men and women are created equal in the eyes of God. They were anti-war. They were the first abolitionists that settled central Indiana. Now, Again, I indulge me, and I know if you know this, it's like you could say, Reverend Jack, you should know this, but nobody told me. And so in this discovery of it, it's like I'm so excited about what is uncovered and what I found. The first African-American United States senator attended the Union Literary Institute in Randolph County, Indiana. Now, we'll get to him in a little bit, but it was just like, and it was right there. So in my growing up, I first learned about the Quaker movement, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, from the movie Friendly Persuasion, a great movie with Gary Cooper, Dorothy McGuire, Anthony Perkins, you know, Google it, watch it. It really talks about that movement, but I remember watching it as a child in that late Saturday night movie, and I was impressed because it's about Harmony, Indiana. So one of the things that I learned in that movie was that the Quakers, who by the way, took back a derogatory slur that they are the Friends Society. And in England, because they broke away from the Church of England, they were ridiculed, shunned, and marginalized and called Quakers because they quaked at the fear of God. And they said, we claim that. You can't hurt us with that. We'll take that name on. That's who we are. We're the Quakers. Thank you. So... They took that name on. But they didn't believe in war, they didn't believe in guns, they didn't believe in any of that. And so they were the ones that were the advocates along the Underground Railroad. And if you can imagine at that time If you can picture in your mind the shape of the state of Indiana, it sort of looks like that boot that's getting ready to kick someone, and it has a very curly bottom and a very curly up the side. Well, those are the rivers. The southern Indiana is the Ohio River, and the Ohio River is what separated the north from the south. And if you start to go up the west side of Indiana, that's the Wabash River that leads all the way up to Chicago. But what a lot of folks don't know, if you go back to the east side of the Ohio River in the southern border, you are on the state line of Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. And so most of the crossing for the Underground Railroad was across the Ohio River at that junction where those states came together. And there's a series of creeks and canals and rivers that separate Ohio from Indiana, and they kind of come to a juncture in Winchester, Randolph County, Indiana, where they meet another river called the White River that goes all the way across Indiana and takes folks to the Wabash River. So you can imagine this was the territory Now, as a little kid, I knew about the Underground Railroad because in the first grade, we're all piled into a bus, and we're taken a few miles south to visit the Levi Coffin House in Fountain City, Indiana. The Levi Coffin House is a very well-known station on the Underground Railroad. We're taken in the house, we're shown how the big headboard is on a hinge, it opens up, there's a door behind it that people could go and hide behind, but it's morphed. Now if you go to the museum known as the Levi Coffin House, yes, you're told the history of the house and how folks can be, you know, that are on the underground road can be hidden, you know, in the walls of the building. But then let's go into the next room where we have a lecture on how to make quilts. You know, our friends that are the Amish that have also settled East Central Indiana have great skills in quilting, and so let's watch the two Amish folks reenact how to make a quilt. Let's go into the kitchen area of this house, and we'll get the lessons on canning and preserving and, you know, doing that sort of thing. So it's, you know... We're kind of stepping away from the story of the Underground Railroad. So that was the depth and the breadth of my education of the Underground Railroad, which quite frankly went right by my house. So as an adult, I'm starting to do this research and I dig a little deeper and I find out a little bit more. And I find that once you start talking to an elder, They'll say, well, what you need to know is that there was a whole series of stations. There was a whole series of folks that acted as advocates along this Underground Railroad. Many farmhouses, even the Union Literary Academy was a station for the Underground Railroad. So I got to talking to some other folks. And I said, well, how did people know to get from one place to the other? And it was like, oh, you don't know about the flower in the vases. And I go, well, what do you mean about the flower in the vases? Oh, well, every farmhouse in Randolph County had a vase of flowers in their living room window. And so when folks would come along the river or the creek at night, they knew that this farmhouse could house and feed and care for six people. And if they walked by the window and there were three flowers in the vase in the window, there's room for three people. But if they had more than three people with them, they had to go to the next farmhouse. Well, how do you know that the next farmhouse is a safe farmhouse? Oh, well, what you need to know is... It's what color the well is painted. Because the well is outside the house. If the well is painted white, it's a safe sanctuary. It's a Quaker home. There's provisions there. So all you have to do is walk around and look in the front room window to know if there's room. So, then I remembered And it's like, did you ever have one of those situations where somebody starts to tell you a story, then you go, oh, I remember a story that I was told. I wonder if that has to do. Who has heard of Paul Bunyan and the big blue ox? Okay. So my grandpa Elliot was a great storyteller. Oscar Raymond Elliot, I'm Jack Raymond Elliot. And one of his favorite stories to tell was Paul Bunyan and the big blue ox and the rock in the corner of his field. Now, in the corner of his farm, adjacent to the neighbor's farm to the east, was this huge boulder. Now, this is flat farmland. There's no reason for a four foot by six foot boulder to be on the corner of this farm. And so to tell the little kids that wanted to go play and, you know, what's this big rock about, Grandpa? Oh, well, that's when Paul Bunyan was walking from Kentucky to Michigan, and his old ox would pay no attention to him whatsoever. So he reached over into the quarry, broke off a piece of limestone, and threw it at the old ox to get his attention. And I must have been where it landed. So the kids were like, oh, wow, that's so cool, that's so cool. And we'd be off doing whatever it would do. But soon as that story was told, the adults in the room would say, may old man Talbert rest in peace. Now I remember that. And so as I'm doing my research on the union Literary Academy, which was six miles south and two miles east of where I grew up, I remembered that rock that was on my grandfather's farm, which was five miles south of where I lived. And so I went to the, the folks that run the, the foundation that runs the academy or raising money for it, and they told me about Mr. Talbert. Mr. Talbert was a free black man. And a part of what he would do is he would go to Kentucky and help bring folks that were escaping up through the channels, up through the creeks, up to the rivers, to the Union Literary Academy. Where they could get the basic educational training that would support them. And then he would go back and get more folks and bring them there. And so he was one of the first teachers at the Union Literary Academy. Well, of course, because it was the times that it was, there are some not so friendly folks in Winchester, Indiana, that were bounty hunters. So they would hear from the plantation owners in Kentucky and Tennessee about who had escaped, and they would go looking for whoever it was to be able to take them back to the south. And there was this this whole agreement amongst the farmers and the residents not just the Quakers, but the Quakers' neighbors that were, you know, folks like my grandparents who were allies of the Quaker movement and what they were up to. And so, one of these times, there were two folks that escaped from a plantation in Kentucky, and the plantation owner wanted them so bad, badly he offered a bounty of $500 each for the bounty hunters to go find these two enslaved people and they they had heard that they had made their way up to this area of Randolph County and so folks went looking. And of course, as I know that you know and you would be saying to me, Jack, you should have known that, the bounty hunters didn't care whether they really found the two people they were looking for, any two black men would do and so they got Mr. Talbert and another gentleman. And they decided to, you know, they found their guy, they knew they were gonna get their bounties, and so they put him in the jail in Richmond, Indiana, which is just another 15 miles south, and they decided to go out and take in, shall we say, the local floral and fauna of Richmond, Indiana at the time. (laughs) Miss Kitty's saloon, or whatever it might have been, because they knew that Mr. Talbert was safe in the jail. But they had underestimated the advocates that Mr. Talbert had in the Quaker communities and the farmers of Randolph County, who broke him out of jail and hid him from the bounty hunters. Nobody ever knew whatever happened to Mr. Talbert. Because Mr. Talbert became Mr. Smith and Mr. Talbert became Mr. Jones. And, you know, there was this whole concocted plan to change his name so that he would never really be caught or taken in. And so then there was this opportunity where those two bounty hunters had to go to trial and they were each fined $500 <laughs> because they were unsuccessful in their journey. But they came and they protected Mr. Talbert. And so now the legend is that big blue boulder that sits on that farm just a mile or so down the road from the Union Literary Academy. How mysterious it is that the ground around it is always cared for. That there is always flowers placed around that rock on decoration day. And whenever anyone tells the story of Paul Bunyan and the old blue ox, it's always followed by, rest in peace, Mr. Talbot. So, as in all history, I tell the story, you repeat the story, you repeat the story, you repeat the story, and I'm not talking about the Bible. But our stories do get concocted, but the essence of the story is still there. And we get to really learn what is ours to do with this information now that we know it. Out of this Union Literary Academy came the first African-American United States senator from the state of Ohio. This slide, they can show you, of this gentleman. It's like, did you know? I didn't know. We'll post this information in the slides that I share with uh, your recap that you get on Wednesday so that you can really read a little bit more about them. But the first African-American representatives of the state of Indiana, went to the Union Literary Academy. It was recognized throughout the Midwest of a school of higher education, and it is the first interracial school college established in the United States. Six miles from where I grew up, I should have known but I didn't know, but I know now. And what I want is I want the other children in the same schools that I went to to know that this is not just an abandoned one-room schoolhouse that you see many of them as you traverse the Midwest, but this is a sacred ground. This was a huge station on the Underground Railroad And in the 1840s, Randolph County, Indiana, had more black folks living in Randolph County than any other county in Indiana or Ohio. And just on the other side of the school is the Methodist Church that Ebenezer Tucker was the minister of that was the main station of the Underground Railroad. It stands to this day. Around that church and around the school were four settlements, Snow Creek, Longview, Greenville, Ohio, and Spartansburg, Indiana. Now, when I say those areas were named, think of a crossroads. Greenville is the only town that's really kind of grown up and became a substantial city. But they were all inhabited by blacks settlement folks, and they were recognized as such. And when it came time for the Civil War, they decided that even though the Quakers had taught them about being abolitionists, they made the decision that they had to join the Colored Regiment and fight for the Union Army. And so at that time, once the Civil War happened, the settlements kind of dispersed and kind of broke down a little bit. But if you check the DNA of any of the 75 members of that Methodist church on that corner to this day, 25% of their DNA is African American. You know, and so it's still there. And I'm going, how did I not know? And as I was doing this research, and as I was doing this understanding, and more people were telling me stories, you know, what the KKK, you know, not only was these abolitionists here, not only were these Quakers working as hard as they could, but so was the KKK. And I may have told you the story before, but I remember when I was with who I call Grandma Kaufman, but who was my babysitter and she attended the Church of God in one of these little small communities. They finally paid off their mortgage, and they went to the bank. She was the treasurer of the board, so she was the one that got to take the check in to pay off the mortgage so they could have the ceremony of burning the mortgage. And as the gentleman was there, and I was sitting there next to her as a nine-year-old, and she was giving him the money, and the banker was taking the money, and he said, thank you, Sister Kaufman, I really appreciate it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get this taken care of, and she said, oh, by the way, could you tell me how much money we have in our checking account? And so he goes back, and he comes back, and he brings her a number, and she goes, I'd like a cashier's check for that as well. Now, of course, he immediately says, well, um, why? Don't, don't you think you need to speak to the men of the church? And- and she goes, no, no, I'm, I'm quite pleased, write me a check. And I'm going, why are you doing that, Grandma? It's okay. Wait till we're in the car. We've all had that conversation. So I'm paying attention, he begrudgingly brings her the paperwork that shows that the mortgage is paid and hands her the check. And I get in the car, and I go, why would you do that? She goes, I recognized his voice. And I go, you recognize his voice? What What does that mean? And she said, there is a black family that has the farm just behind the farm my late husband and I had. And one night, the KKK showed up on our farm because they wanted to cut through our woods to get to the place to burn that family's farm. And my husband took the shotgun after them and said, get off our property. And that man at the bank said, we'll remember this. And she said, and I've lived for the last however many years remembering this but what I remember most was his voice. And it was like, uh uh-uh, not on my land, not on my farm. That is an advocate. So I wanna go back and close with this idea of the movie Friendly Persuasion, because it really gives such a good example of being an ally, an advocate, and a co-conspirator in life. An ally, you could look around the room right now and see one another as an ally. An ally really is, I see you, I love you, I appreciate you. An advocate takes it up a notch. An advocate is, I have my hand at your back. I will stand with you. A co conspirator is willing to risk it all. A co conspirator paints their well white. A co conspirator puts a flower arrangement in their window. You know, so we have to lift up these folks because here's what I know to be true. Anyone that has ever experienced a bully picking on somebody in the playground, if you have the courage to walk over and stop that bully, one, it shocks the bully. But you also know within a moment or two, suddenly there's a couple other people right behind you that's willing to take on the bully as well. But somebody had to step out there first. So the co-conspirators are the ones that are willing to step out there first, to risk it all. And so in the movie Friendly Persuasion, the Quakers were the allies. And the turmoil that they were wrestling with within the whole family dynamic was the son was realizing that just being an ally wasn't enough. And he had to go against his religious upbringing, the faith tradition that he had been taught, and to go get his gun and go to war and fight for what he believed to be right. And he did it because of the free black gentleman that worked on their farm. He witnessed him going to war because he had to stand up for what was right. And if he can do it, I've got to do it. And even though the parents you know, were really wrestling and, and oh by the way, the thing that I never noticed in this movie before is it is the Dorothy McGuire character, the mother that was the minister of the Quaker church in 1864. And it was like, come on now. It only took another 100 years to really get women in the pulpit. But it was like right there. She was the demonstration because she was the archetype of being an ally and being steadfast in her faith. Her husband went and got his hunting rifle and went off to join his son to fight for what was right. So, yes, it's cheeky. Yes, there's some funny scenes in there. You know, if ever you remember Marjorie Maine or Ma Kettle, as you might have known it, she's in there and she's got some daughters that are pretty wacky. They represent people from Ohio, not from Indiana. Uh, But, you know, you can kind of take it, but the message is there. And it's like, I don't care what it takes to get the message out, get the message out. When the gentleman that became the first representative for the state of Indiana was inaugurated, he uttered one of the words that I heard when I was back in Indiana that I'm now having the hardest time shaking. He said, I am so proud to be in 1881, the first elected representative to the State House of Indiana as a black person. Just 30 years ago, my peers in this house were up to some shenanigans that we would never have the right to vote or to be an elected office. Despite those shenanigans, here I stand. Here I stand. And what I know, and this is his quote that's on his statue in Statuary Hall, or what, Statuary Hall, rather, In the house, it says, time corrects all errors. And it was like, hold that vision. Hold that vision. It is my intention as I stand here before you to say, I want to be the best ally, advocate, and co-conspirator that I can be in life. And I ask you to do the same. You know, many of you heard a couple, three weeks ago, where this wonderful woman who had a little gift shop in Lake Arrowhead, California, was killed because she had the audacity to have a pride flag on her front porch. The person who killed her didn't know her. There was nothing Going on, he just saw that flag, was enraged, went and ripped it off. And as he ripped it down, she came out and said, not unlike what Grandma Coffin said, not on my land. And he followed her in the store and shot. her. A mother of nine children. Next Sunday is going to be her commemorative Sunday when we remember Kathleen. So we are in a time when we need to absolutely know who our allies, advocates, and co-conspirators are. And I will offer the idea that each of us are spiritually nudged to when to do the right thing. A friend asked me in Indiana, said, how do you know when it's spirit opening the door for you to go through or your ego opening a door trying to coax you through. And I said, well, here's how I know it's true in my life. If it's spirit that's getting me through that door, I don't even realize I've walked through a door until I'm on the other side. That's spirit in action. I wanna leave you with this. You cannot be an ally, an advocate, or a co-conspirator for anyone else Unless you're an advocate, an ally, and a co-conspirator for yourself. So the challenge that I leave before you this week, take that discerning look. Am I being an ally? Do I see myself when I look in the mirror? Not who I not who I should be when I look in the mirror. Not who I want to be when I look in the mirror. Do I see God's perfect creation before me when I look in the mirror? That's being my ally. Am am I an advocate for myself? Or am I always putting on hold what I want so that I can have harmony in my home and other people can have what they want? Am I not speaking up at work because? I don't want to stir it up for myself so I let other people do what they do at work. Let that go. Be your own advocate. Be your own co-conspirator because you know when you're a co-conspirator, you have a focused intention on what is for the highest and best. And what we know about this teaching is when you put your focus on what is for the highest and best, it expands. So I will leave with the words of the Reverend Dr. Andriette Earle. Keep your attention on your intention to be your own best advocate, your own best ally, and your own best co-conspirator.